Welcome back to Stanford Youth Solutions and Sierra Forever Family's second episode of Resource Families Thrive, Families Helping Families. My name is Daniel. I'm the Recruitment Specialist in Pathways to Permanency, and I'm going to be your host once again. I'm hoping that with this series, you'll learn more about foster care, how to be a resource family, more about our organization, and that along the way, we can provide you with some useful tips and tricks. Stanford Youth Solutions and Sierra Forever Families is a merged organization with a combined 140 years of experience. We serve the greater Sacramento region in California with a variety of services which support our mission, transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. Currently, we have locations in Auburn, Grass Valley, Sacramento, Citrus Heights, and Woodland. In the last episode, you had the opportunity to meet members of Pathways to Permanency. Their roles all come together to support you in taking a child into your care, but where do those kids come from? They've all got families who are in need of support from people like you, because one of those pathways is reunification. For this episode, all of our guests are members of our Family and Youth Partnership Program, and they're here to share their stories and the important work that they do. So we're joined by James, who is a family partner manager. So what's your role as a family partner? What families do you work with the most? So the families that we provide services to are those who are receiving services at child welfare system. Their kids are currently in foster care. Typically, yes. There are a few that are actually still placed in home. They're doing voluntary programs. So it's a mixture of both. Tell us your story a little bit. What what got you into doing this work as an advocate, as someone supporting families who are going through this? So I got into it because of the, I guess, my lived experience, because of my lived experience through my journey through the child welfare system. Um, somebody had seen something in me that, that they liked and, and they thought that I would be good at advocating for people, so they recommended me. My child was moved from our care for general neglect Drugs and alcohol were a big part of the picture, some domestic violence, along with that, obviously the homelessness and um, incarceration. Our daughter was five years old at the time and was placed in foster care for 45 days. We have an older adult child who was able to step forward and go through the RFA process and become the caregiver for her first Italy. She went from uh, foster care with a family she didn't know to Correct. kinship care. Correct. And how long was she in foster care, kinship care total? So she was in regular foster care for about 45 days and then about six months with her sister as we progressed through the, through the case plan and was able to uh, start with the overnights and then get, get her placed back in my care under the family maintenance. Did you have any involvement with the original foster family when she was first placed? So, unfortunately, I really didn't have any information about this particular foster family. I guess they chose to uh, work anonymously, Mm -hmm. I guess is the word. They didn't really want any involvement. So I really, really didn't have any any knowledge of who they were, what they were, how, you know, what they were about or anything. That must have created some uncertainty for you about... It was a little weary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the only thing for, in my particular case, I was looking forward to was just getting Regina with her siblings. So she was with Mm -hmm. family. That was, that was the key for me was just getting her with family. So you had that goal in mind that was kind of driving the whole... The whole case. Yeah, that was the whole plan was to get her with, with family so that she would have less trauma, I guess, and less separation anxiety, and be with people that she knew and was comfortable with. 
I know that one thing I've heard in the past has been this phrase, well, they just need to do better and they'll get their kids back. But could you tell me how many services did you have when you were going through the system? There were probably five different services that I was going through in addition to some other services that I was that I was utilizing besides uh, for CPS, it was just for my own personal growth. Through the child welfare system, they have you do alcohol and drug, uh, alcohol and drug assessments, 12-step meetings, parenting classes, anger management, counseling. Those are some of the main ones that I, I participated in. There's also a lot of other services that they can provide as well. Mm-hmm. And all of that was in addition to making sure you were able to get to visits and getting a job and finding housing and all that stuff. Correct. Right? Yeah, actually through my personal journey, I was homeless, living at a shelter, was also part of the criminal justice system, was on probation, and doing a five-day-a-week outpatient program for probation. So in that time, you had all of those services... Uh, you had those things that you had to do in terms of like the list of things that you had had to accomplish. So I was getting a job, stable housing, all that stuff on that list. So on my, my case plan was a little different, I guess, because when they came to see me, I kind of already had a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I shared with them what I was doing because I was actually homeless. I was working with the local shelter and their homeless coordinator. Um, along I had, I had a case manager there. But I was also receiving services through the criminal justice system, which was a program, a reentry program. And so I was receiving services through them. I was able to share all this information with the caseworker. And my case plan was very small compared comparatively to other folks. Gotcha. So although housing was definitely on top of the list, and I was working like with the shelter to uh, obtain housing. In addition to all of those other things, you had to do supervised visitations as well, correct? Correct. In the beginning, it was supervised visitation. I would have to get from uh, the treatment program on one side of town to the uh, to the CPS office on the other side of town to uh, have a little one-and-a-half-hour visit with my daughter. Um, in the beginning, it was about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Little tiny room, not much as far as activities to do. Weren't allowed to go outside. It was kind of limited. So who are some of the people that you've supported as an advocate? So actually, funny that you ask. It's just interesting how, how life is. Going through my journey, living in this tea house and this, through the shelter, this family um, transitional program that they had in Yolo County at the time, I actually was able to provide services to almost all my all my neighbors <laughs> that were there. And I think go, me going through my journey allowed me to be able to connect with these folks on a, on a whole different level. They were able to understand where I was coming from. They knew, knew my own journey because they had seen it. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to connect and engage with these, fam- with these folks and to provide them the services. And it probably it, immediately had this like open door for you, this level of trust. Absolutely. It was more, you know, they had more buy-in. They understand... They knew that the stuff that I was talking about worked because they seen it work in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most powerful things with family partners is it's not just another professional coming in and saying, this is how to do things and here's what you will do. Right. And it's you being able to say, I have been there 
and this is what I did that worked for me, and what can we find that works for you? Absolutely, yeah. This is the path that I traveled, and you know, this is what worked for me. It may work for you. It may not work for you. Mm-hmm. But here's a starting point. And then having that honest conversation with them to find out what they think will work for them. Yeah. We hear from a lot of moms within the system. What was it like for you as a dad navigating through all of this? So one of the things that I noticed going through the system is some bias against fathers. A lot of the programs that they have set up are geared towards moms and the kiddos. Treatment facilities where you can have your kiddos at. There was no treatment facility in the area I was at that could allow me to have my child with me. With all of your experience, with this journey that you have had to walk and have been so successful in, what would you say is the biggest piece of advice you can give to people who are thinking about becoming resource families? One of the things that I share when I go speak with the CASAs is, you know, they're going there to help these children and kiddos and they want to save them. And they have this idea that these parents are just these bad people done these bad things. And I try to explain to them and then show them that, you know, we're not bad people. We just made some bad choices. So be mindful of how you judge these parents or these families. Not all of us are really bad people. We just made some really, really poor choices in life and, and maybe didn't have the resources that everybody else had to overcome some of the obstacles that we've had placed in our way. A lot of the families that we work with are from lower economic standard. Be mindful not to judge these folks. Your normal may not be their normal, just to be mindful of that, of the culture, I guess the cultural competency part of it. Try to be understanding of that. And James is not the only parent partner within our program that has experience living through the CPS system. We also have Miracle. What parents do you help out? Most of the parents that I work with are dealing with drug addiction and housing issues. I dealt with the drug addiction since I was 14 years old and I ended up getting pregnant at 19. And when I found out I was pregnant, I did not want to continue using while I was pregnant. So I went to into a Mother Teresa's maternity home and stayed clean during my whole pregnancy and three months after pregnancy. My plan was to continue to stay clean and raise my son. After I had him, I kind of fell back into my drug use and was not able to keep my son safe. And so he was taken into foster care? Yes, he was taken into foster care for two weeks. Then my grandmother actually applied for guardianship of him and then eventually adopted him. What was that like for those two weeks? It was pretty scary, not knowing where my son was and not being able to see him or talk to him or hold him. Then he went to your aunt, is that correct? Yes. How did that feel for you? It was relieving. For the most part, you know, to be able to see him, watch him grow up, being involved, having the support from my aunt and my grandmother, kind of telling me, Miracle, get clean. You can, this is your son. This will always be your son. Knowing that he was safe and in an environment that he he knew kind of helped alleviate a a lot of stress from when he was in foster care, not knowing where he was. So I ended up getting clean and then found out that my aunt was using, I had gotten a phone call from her saying that she was being arrested and that I needed to go pick up the kids because they were home by themselves. So I went and picked up all the kids, including my son, took took them to my house. The next day I went to the courthouse and filed the next parte of guardianship, which I was granted since then I have had my son. 
So you've seen the system from the side of being the parent whose child was taken into custody and then also doing kinship for your aunt's kids. Yes. So you have a lot of experience. It's of navigating systems in multiple directions. And I'm sure as you're supporting birth families, you've also gotten a chance to meet some of the foster families for the kids in their care. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to foster parents? Just realizing that some of these parents have not had support and probably have been through a lot in their past and might not have a lot of information or resources or support and that is why they are where they are at this point in time and just being able to meet the parent where they are and know that everybody makes mistakes and being able to be supportive of the parents in this time and just really give them time. What's your level of involvement with the birth parents? I attend their CFT meeting, child and family team meetings, I attend court dates with them. I do not speak at court. I just I go to su- for support, and I take them to to any meetings that I have outside NAAA meetings. I will take them and support them on that. One thing that I see with the resource family and the parent that I work with versus the parents that don't have relationship with the resource families, I see this mom actually have a very good bond with this resource mother. The resource mom attends court with her, attends her CFT meetings. It's very, mom's so engaged with the resource parent versus having the other parents that I have that also have resource parents that don't involve themselves with the a relationship with them. I, I see this mom thriving. They've built such a strong relationship and able to co-parent is, is really what I see. It's, mm-hmm. it's a co-parenting skill. I think it, that the kids are, I mean, they're, they're, they're used to having both of them around, but at the same time, the resource family is also teaching mom how to be able to parent, independence, living skills, things that mom didn't really know. Yeah, so, and keeping her really engaged in the whole process. Ab- absolutely. And I and I see I see a lot of progress with this family mm-hmm. and the resource parent. And so involved. how do they communicate with one another? The this birth parent, this mom, and then the resource parent. Do they text? Do they call? They text all the time. Mm-hmm. They call each other every day. Mom checks in with the resource mom and checks in to see how the how her baby's doing. Resource mom will text her pictures of the baby, of the baby eating dinner, mm-hmm. you know, any any bit of playing on the floor. She sends videos to mom <laughs> and said, you know, cute little videos that she showed me. Just anything, any new outfits that she gets. And and mom does the same. She texts her, she'll she'll send resource mom videos. Oh look, she's eating this tonight. You know, they just they're fun. They're really so it's a really good it's partnership. A really, it's really good. That's awesome. And it so this is a baby, so that means that mom still gets to see her kiddo grow up. And this the situation that really sticks out to me last week is is mom had her first overnight with with kiddo. Mm-hmm. She got overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um so she she had to call resource the resource mom. And the resource mom came up and they both had a conversation and she was like, no, I understand. Would you like me to sit with you? Would you like me to stay until she falls asleep? 
Like, what what do you think? And kind of get just like met mom where she is. This was her first overnight with, with kiddo. And, you know, just kind of sat there till till the kiddo went to sleep. And mm-hmm. she mom told me about it the next day. And she was just so overwhelmed with happiness. She didn't really understand why she got overwhelmed. And it's a, it's a new thing. She's learning how to be yeah. a parent. And, and just having the resource mom come up and just kind of sit next to her and, and be there for her. It was just, it was really, it was really neat to see that someone is that, that willing to help a mom that doesn't really understand what, what to do in, yeah. a, in that time. I have to assume for that mom, it was that fear. And I, I'm sure for any parent, there's going to be that fear. Where do I land? And it sounds like that resource parent is doing their best to be that safe place to land kind of meet mom where she is yeah and I think it's really beneficial for the both of them to be able to co-parent there yeah so is there any last piece of advice that you would want to give to anyone that's thinking about becoming a resource family I would recommend if at all possible to try and make a relationship with the parent if it is feasible to kind of build on your guys's relationship how to benefit how would it benefit the kid to keep the kid's emotions safe and keep everybody in the loop? Because mm-hmm. I think the best support for the kid is having mm-hmm. everybody on the same page. All the parents working together. Everybody working together to best support the whole situation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. And I'm so glad I've gotten to know more about you and your part in this program too. Thank you for having me. One of the requirements for joining our Family Youth Partnership team is that lived experience component, and that does go beyond CPS involvement. We do also have parent partners like Jen, who have also been foster or adoptive parents. So Jen, what inspired you to become a resource parent? I I think I had started hearing things here and there about foster care and kids in foster care, And I hadn't really been consciously aware of it before, but as I started seeing these things, you know, come across, I just felt, I felt very provoked by the idea as a mom already of my, my own biological kids, the idea that there were children who didn't have homes because they'd been removed from their own families. The idea of a child not having the love of his or her mother or father or grandparents, aunts and uncles was just very upsetting and unacceptable to me. I couldn't I couldn't imagine. And so that really sparked this drive to do something about it. And I didn't know what else I could do except that I was a mom and had a family and a home. And that's what I knew I could offer. So I have to ask, did you have any expectations going into foster care? Like what were your ideas of what it would look like. Yeah, so obviously I was going to save the world and all of the children with my great big loving heart and my warm nurturing family. So, I mean, we did. We had we had so much love and I think that I had strengths that made sense for fostering. I was very patient. I was a a very nurturing parent, very warm, which isn't to say I didn't have my normal every parent issues that would come up or anything like that. But I knew that strengths that I had in parenting would be really well suited to take a, a child who was needing extra love. And so my expectation was, yeah, I love, love heals and love protects, which it does. And 
So my expectation was that I would be a warm, safe place, that the love that I could share would be a warm, safe place for a child. And then I tumbled off my high horse and <laughs> fell flat on my back and found myself staring up, going, what is happening right now? So with those moments, what supports did you find or mm -hmm. what supports did you wish that you had? My family was very supportive and they really did. They really did just embrace the kids that came in with open arms. What I hadn't realized and what I would want other people to, to know and proactively start building in is that I really needed to have supports who had walked through it personally because it's different when it's your home, your family, your life. I needed to hear from other people. I needed it because I needed to normalize what I was experiencing and also what these kids were experiencing and needing. I needed someone to talk down my crazy when I was just latching on to things that didn't actually matter, you know, and I think even in biological parenting, you might call up your sister and be losing your mind about something that your teenager did and, and maybe your sister gives you some perspective of like, was that really so bad? Is this really the thing that you want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe over? With your son and any of the other kids that you've, you've cared for over your time as a foster parent, what kind of connections did you have with their families? Uh, with my first, my first foster son, I didn't have a very deep relationship with his mom. I mean, he did reunify very successfully, and it's a good story. But you know, it was just visitations basically. And but then one day we did talk, and I don't remember why. But, you know, months into it, and she was doing her own work. She was also mm -hmm. individually seeing a therapist, working through her stuff, and and really committing to what it, it took to get her son back and improve her own parenting in those areas. And we talked one day about some of her backstory on um, how she had grown up and things that had impacted her. And hearing her, hearing her talk about that, was really significant because it gave me, I could see her as a person instead of the problem, mm -hmm. right? I could see her as a person instead of, you're the one who broke this child. How did that impact the case or did that impact the case? Being able to see a birth parent, birth family as a human who is as deserving and in need of love, respect, compassion, caring, support, help as any other person, I think that that is, it supports that child. At the end of the day, regardless of whether the plan is, you know, hopefully it's reunification, but no matter where that plan is going, it's going to support the child. And that's why it's a priority regardless, because, um, because you can't separate a child from the identity that comes with the family. You, you cannot, even when a child is separated from their family physically, you cannot you can't change the fact that there is still a strong identity piece that's just built into us with our parents. And so to to love you well, I need to also demonstrate love towards your parent. 
What sort of supports do you wish were there for you as a foster parent or as an adoptive parent or yeah. were there for the biological parents of oh the kids that you were working with? Oh my gosh. Okay. So a family partner, I did not know that, that we existed and I found out later and I, I think I was just missed somehow, but I desperately could have used someone with lived experience who could have come in provided me with accountability, because I, I think that's where it got missed for me. I think that it was easy for me to to know what I needed to do and change, and yet to not do it. What I wish would have happened looking back is that there would have been a, so now what? Mm-hmm. Right? This is a natural human response, but it's a natural human response that you're not wishing to continue to repeat in the same way. And so... How do we get you there? If you had to give one piece of advice to people who are thinking Mm. about becoming resource parents, what would that advice be? I think no matter who you are, no matter what tools, awareness, skills, strengths you're coming in with, just to make the commitment to breaking off shame as you go throughout the journey, recognizing that there will be things that catch you by surprise, There will be things that surprise you about your own self, and it's really critical to walk through that without shame, because shame is is not a good parent, and it's not a good partner in your parenting. And I would encourage you, um, when you don't know what to do, choose love. When you don't know what to do, choose connection. If you remember nothing else, (laughs) choose connection. I don't regret the time that I didn't make someone eat their broccoli, the time I let them go to bed instead of sitting at the table for three hours because of the green beans. You know, I don't regret (laughs) all those little things that I put so much effort into sometimes. My one and only regret that I have had is the times when I chose something instead of connection. If all else fails in a moment, choose connection because you will always have more opportunities for discipline, for structure, to you know, work on behaviors, but you cannot successfully really win at the end of the day if you haven't simply loved well. So that would be my advice. Jen, I do want to be mindful of your time today, and I'm really appreciative that you were able to join us, that you were able to talk about your experiences and um, impart some of that wisdom to the people who are listening. Thank you. My last guest for this episode is Kathy, who specializes in supporting families that are going through the mental health systems. As resource family, this is a really important thing for you to know and understand because a lot of our kids do have mental health services and it helps to be able to advocate on the behalf of the child when you have that connection to someone, when you have that support. Thank you so much for being here, Kathy. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. I am a family partner for El Dorado County CPS. What do you do in El Dorado County? I know that that's actually a new place for us to be working. We are assigned parents and families through CPS. We go out to their homes. We meet in community locations. We offer supports. We advocate for the families. We connect them to resources and we honor their voice and choice. How many families are you working with right now? 
Currently, I'm working with three. And you get to know them real, real well. Yes, you do. With the advocacy piece and the voice and choice, tell everyone what that means. For myself, I work with adults, and it's honoring mom or dad's voice, whether they want services, what resources they would like to see, or what resources they don't want to see, and where they see themselves down the road. And we guide them to services and resources and provide peer support. I am working with families that that are not in the foster care system, but are birth parents. What sort of services are they receiving for their kids, or what sort of things are the families getting? It could be anything from referrals to Trevor Project, referrals working with families, say perhaps if they have a youth or a, a kiddo that's questioning sexual identity, and giving the parents supports and resources where they need to go for those resources and help them navigate through that and support them. You do a lot of work within these complex systems, especially helping families to navigate mental health, to help them to navigate these personal challenges that they or their families have been going through. What brought you into this work? That is my son. Mm -hmm. It's been 15 years. My son was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and optional defiant disorder and borderline bipolar. And I was a postal carrier. Mm-hmm. I had to navigate through the school system by myself. My son was suspended 72 times. Wow. From kindergarten to third grade. Wow. For the manifestations of, in our family, we call it diversities. Mm-hmm. The more I kept advocating and trying to learn to get help for my son, the more I got pushed back from the school. Mm-hmm. They did not accommodate myself or my son an IEP or need supports, so the behaviors got worse. Did you have professionals working with you at that time? Actually, we were on our own. And if I knew back then all the supports that we have, I most definitely would have accessed that. And I would have been one of those parents that definitely could have used the support from a parent partner and had respite time and somebody that knew how to process through an IEP and get to the resources and that needed to be in place at that time. I've always known that our families that work within family youth partnership have that strong lived experience component and just hearing that you come from that place of experiencing that lack of support to being able to provide that support is this amazing journey. He was six when he was diagnosed, so it took us four years. I jumped right into mental health, special education, and I started self-advocating and started learning about mental health, special education, and went to the point of due process and the Ninth Circuit. It started out with my son, and then actually a year went by, months went by. I realized it just wasn't about my son. It was about a voice that these children that have special needs or special education or mental health are not provided. They're not able to have a voice and able to access the resources that they need, or the parents aren't given the resources. One thing that I'm very curious about is how do you feel other parents 
were perceiving you at that time? Well, I had a lot of parents that were very supportive. I did have to get an inter-district transfer for my son to another district in Lake County, California. However, the parents in the other district had already heard about my due process case. Mm -hmm. So um, the teachers were not so much inclined when we got to this different district because they thought, okay, here comes Eli's mom. We better have special education teachers that are seasoned. They kind of let their idea of you precede who you were, what you were doing before they ever met you. I, I think as a troublemaker. And and I might add, I, I have another friend that has a daughter with Down syndrome, and there's three of us in Lake County that hold our children with pride, and we've advocated years for their voice and diversities, and that their voice and their their lives matter, and they are to be respected, and yeah, this is who they are. So with that in mind, what supports do you wish were there? I wish that there was other parents that had gone through what a few of us had gone through, and coming from a rural county, there was and still is not a lot of support groups. Mm-hmm. A lot more than there has been in the past. But um, feeling very much alone back then, and I can tell you honestly, there was many nights I laid in bed crying and wondering if I'm the only parent that's gone through this. Mm-hmm you know, from getting rocks thrown at me. But the, the behaviors that manifest with somebody that has a dual diagnosis and that struggle with diversity and then mental health challenges. And you're supporting them as a parent and still advocating them. But other parents that have not walked the walk, that parents like myself have walked, they have not been in our shoes so it's easy to judge unless you've been there mm-hmm. so support is a huge huge component to what our agency is about and voice and choice and diversity and having that support for parents and for me it was not having support I wish that the support system would have been there and I wish that the school would have been supportive I wish the teachers would have been supportive Mm -hmm. and that honoring that everybody who doesn't fit inside of a box, we're all different and that's what makes us all unique. So what's been your favorite part of this so far? Honestly, I don't really consider what I do a job. If I can provide the services to families and provide them with the resources to help them go through and navigate whatever that's going on through their lives at that time, to give them more tools in their toolbox. So, and the end result is we want that family to be successful. I guess the favorite part would be when they don't need me anymore. It's, I couldn't see myself doing anything else and it's because of my son that I'm here. God willing, this will be what I do forever.
<laughs> I hope. Well, Kathy, your, your story has been very powerful. I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you. Thank you again. Thank I you. really appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm glad that you were able to join us today, and I hope that you learned a lot from the stories that our family partners were able to share. If there's one thing that I hope that you took from today, it's an understanding that our kids come from families, and that those families have real stories. They are real people, and they have the right and the capability to advance themselves, to grow, and should be able to get their kids back. Reunification is a really critical part to our pathways to permanency. It is the first thing that is looked at on any plan, so it's important that any family be able to support that, be able to process through those difficult moments that might come up from that, that they understand that a relationship with a birth parent is going to be just like any relationship where you're going to have those beautiful moments and those tough moments. And it's important to keep that going so that way our kids have the opportunity to thrive. If you would like to know more, always feel free to reach out to us via email at pfcrecruitment at youthsolutions.org or give us a call at 916-368-5114 or post questions to our social media pages. We do have Instagram, Facebook, and our SoundCloud account. I hope that this has also taught you more in case you're interested in becoming a resource family. And if you don't feel like it's time to become a resource family, check out our mentorship opportunities. You could help a child to have experiences they might not otherwise have. Thank you again. I'm really, really glad that we're able to spend this time with you and to teach you more. And until we do get to talk to you again, I hope that you keep on thriving.